This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hi guys, welcome to the Macros Bodybuilding and Powerlifting Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Hall. And again, we have part two with Lam Donald. This was an absolute pleasure. And in this episode, we talk more about the psychology of keeping weight off after losing a lot as a general pop client or over, even obese client. Get into a lot of different concepts here, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So, cheers, guys, and enjoy the episode. Right. Now, I, in a sense, I find this more interesting, and in that the physiological issues are there's more worry about, but it's also a tiny percent of the population. Like the general dieting public is a whole different kettle of fish. And yes, there's a physiology, but in, it's generally there's more behavioral issues. Mm-hmm. And again, you cannot separate the two. I'm being very reductive in this. But it's more they've got long-term bad eating habits. They have long-term bad activity habits. It doesn't usually take very much to make these changes. But again, A, there's so much bad diet information. B, the way people diet is very pathological in terms of their expectations, the results they think they should be getting, how they do it. They want to drop calories because less calories must generate more fat loss than some calories. <clears throat> um, women don't eat enough protein, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have all these idiot things in the media, the biggest loser, which still just infuriates me that, you know, I should be losing 18 pounds a week. Well, if you can get locked in a room and do eight hours of activity a day and, and get eat 600 calories and they, all this other stuff, but it's two pounds a week is nothing. I'm like, but if you do that for a year, that's 100 pounds. Well, I don't want to wait a year. Well, tough. Mm-hmm. You, you know, mm-hmm. the old trite, you didn't get overweight overnight and you won't lose it overnight. I don't care. It's just the reality. But <clears throat> lately, just as I've thought about it more, um, a number of different things and, and I've started to conceptualize dieting and I'm sure I'm, everybody has done this like for the general population even for the lean population dieting is it's a learning process and I think that's something people don't really consider it's something I should write about at some point is that and I think I came up with this when I was writing an earlier project and I got very deep into the inherent stuff because in the general population we know how to make them lose weight. I read another stupid study on why fiber is good. Like we get it. We, we get it. Fiber is good. We get it. We know how to get people to lose weight. We have failed at how to get them to keep it off. And those are different questions. And I address this briefly in, in flexible dieting and 2004, I mean, it's 13 years later. I like to think I've, I've picked up a couple of new ideas. And there's there's a lot in that book that I've become less – I was very enthusiastic about refeeds. Um, they can still be effective. I no longer think a one-day refeed does anything. Um, two or three days certainly starts – You know, UD2 was set up around that, starts to have a bigger effect. You made a very good point. To a very real degree, the full diet break probably trumps trumps them all in the sense that it's long enough to truly have a metabolic mm-hmm. effect. Now, mm-hmm. refeeds still have benefits when you're dieting. It refills muscle glycogen. It lowers cortisol. It can have – for women especially, it has benefits in terms of uh, – 
menstrual cycle function, you know, there's intermittent caloric restriction, which is seeming to be, even for the general population, because, and that's a psychological thing, because saying you have to diet seven days a week for the next six months, can't do it. Mm -hmm. It's psychologically too overwhelming. Anybody can diet for two or three days, and then if they get to eat normally, well, cool. I mean, that's, again, that was basically what I was saying early, early on, and conceptually, was having a break often dieting less rigidly works better. And that's the thing. You, if you can have a big deficit, that's very easy. For two or three days, I can, I can eat, I can reduce calories hard. But oh, every fourth day I get to eat normally? Cool, anybody can do that. Like that's, that's okay. Even that weird, there's a study where they dieted two days a week. Now they were on like 25% maintenance, super low calories, but then they got to eat normally for five days. And they still lost not a huge amount, but for a larger individual, that may be a 20, maybe 2,000 calorie a day deficit. For the, that's still a pound a week, yeah. dieting two days. And it's funny, I have an old diet book. I used to read these things religiously. And it's called The Two Day Diet. <laughs> like these ideas, many of them are not new, but they're now being formalized. Yeah. But I, refeeds still have a benefit. Again, for athletes especially, they refill, even just refilling muscle glycogen. Uh, to sustain training intensity, it's important for that standpoint. But metabolically, I think yes, I've become a lot less. And lot, I don't think the metabolic effects certainly of one day are meaningless. Two days gets a little bit better. Three, you're looking, but there's a limit to how many days a week you can do that and still to maintain the same deficit. The diet days have to keep getting progressively harder, or your fat loss slows. So it's it's a there's a medium there. And again, psychologically, some people get thrown off the rails. This is another thing I changed my attitude on with the general population. I was super like free meals, refeed, yada, yada. The thing is, if you're just starting, if you've got long-term bad eating habits, if you've got quote unquote trigger foods, taste buds change. It yeah. takes four to six weeks. There, uh, there's dysfunction in the reward system. There's all these things in the overweight person that's not present in the lean person. I'm now thinking, look, try them. And if they kick you off your diet, they're not for you or not for you yet, right? Maybe 12 weeks from now, you try them again when your taste, when these, something that even the, if it fits your macros, zealots forget. And I did early on in the flexible dieting. I think it's great, but it's a process. And to tell someone who's had 30 years of eating very badly, you know what? This is right. For, well, yeah, we're. You and I, you did it, I did it. I tracked my calories meticulously for a decade. Mm -hmm. Everyone who does super well on that, there's even one person going, ah, oh, intuitive eating, just eat eat normally. Well, if, <laughs> I guarantee you that person who came from 10 years out of rigid dieting, extremely, she knows exactly what she's eating every day. I, if I go to the buffet, even if I'm eating like a pig, I know exactly yeah. how much I'm eating. I guarantee you, I know. I may not care, but I know. And they've even shown in the lean individual, the frontal cortex, the part of the brain that makes us aware of our food, turns on in lean individuals, and it doesn't in obese individuals when they overeat. The lean individual is aware of what they're, so, so to tell the beginner obese or overweight dieter that they should incorporate these immediately may do more harm than good. Yeah. I'm not saying it will, I'm saying it may, and it's just a concern. They may be better off with at least a four to six week phase of fairly strict dieting. Now make them aware that look, if you screw up a little bit, if you, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Like you can start moving them towards those changes in mentality. 
but those formalized free meals, refeeds, the diet breaks were actually used in overweight individuals and work just fine. But even that's a, like telling someone who's just starting, like offer oh, a day, I want you to cram in the carbs. Yeah, that goes awry real quick. It may not, depending on how you give them the instructions. Don't call them cheat days. That's yeah. a horror show. That's, uh, but anyway, long way of getting to this is dieting is a long-term process. We make mistakes, right? I got very, very interested in the drug addiction literature because I think there's a lot to be learned from that population. Now, in a way, I, I, I don't want to trivialize drug addiction. I truly, truly don't. It is a brutal, destructive, it's a horror, like it's, I, it's a horror, right? I've known alcoholics, it's, it's tough. However, in one weird way, it is easier than dieting in the sense that we don't need drugs to live. We don't need alcohol to live. Frequently in drug addiction, they talk about forming bright line boundaries, right? If you're an alcoholic who is trying to break that cycle, you do not go to the bar. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, have to cut off all contact with friends who drink because they may not get it. I've known alcoholics and their friends were like, you can just have a drink. No, no, they can't. That's like, like just you can have a little heroin. No, no, yeah. you can't. I knew someone who actually did stop using heroin and they were like, Wow, my life is so boring. They don't know how to be. They don't know how to have fun without drugs. They they don't. But they had to cut off all contact with their using because their user friends don't care. Mm -hmm. And if they're in that environment, it, you have to eat. In that sense, dieting is somewhat. Again, I don't want to trivialize here. Anybody saying drug addiction is that's got about the same success rate as as dieting does, which I think that tells me that there's a commonality. There's mm -hmm. something about behavior change that we're kind of missing right now. And I wish more, I wish the behaviorists and the biologists and the dietitians and the doctors would get it together. Because if you read that different literature, endocrinologists focus on hormones, dietitians focus on why fiber is good. The bio, you know, there's not enough cross, cross work being done. Mm -hmm. but, the general dieter, and, and this is where that really rigid attitude, oh, I was dieting, I was good for three weeks, and I made a mistake. In drug addiction, they call this the abstinence violation effect, the AVE, which is what happens when you fall off the wagon, because it happens, it does. And you can approach that with two different, two different ideas. You can see it as a personal failure, beat yourself up for it, and odds are you're going to relapse. You know, whatever, pop psychologist the shame spiral, whatever you want to call it. But it's true. That's what dieters do. That's what diet literature says. You are morally weak, right? It's that whole gloss, the, the gloss, uh, sloth and gluttony attitude of obesity. We know now there's so many biological underpinnings. People mm -hmm. who enjoy activity have a different brain. We are driven to be more active. I was just looking at a paper on intrinsic motivation, right? I see so many fit pros. External motivation doesn't work. Be intrinsically motivated. It's like telling a cat to be a dog <laughs> because it is bio, there's a biological underpinning to it. Now, does that mean you can't become more intrinsic? No, that gets into self-determination theory, all this other behavioral stuff. You, but for some people, they need external. They're not going to do it other than for external, for external motivation. But what starts as external motivation, doing it for their partner, for money, then they do it for a while. Do it because they feel like they have to. Suddenly, six to eight weeks in, if you're as a trainer doing your job, they go, 
I'm actually starting to enjoy this. I'm good at it. I feel I've got, you know, I feel confidence. I've built self-efficacy. I've proven that I can do it. And that's part of the trainer's job mm -hmm. to lead them through that. If you beat them up their first day, what have they learned? Failure. I can't do this. This is just like high school PE. I, I can't do this, right? One of the, the series I'm probably the most proud of is training the obese beginner. Because if you've never been obese, you don't know. No. You don't know what it's like to be unable to walk for more than five minutes on a treadmill. You don't get it. You've been training 10 years. You want to be there. They don't. If you break them, they're never coming back. All you've taught them is you can't do this. You have that, But what, what starts purely externally motivated can become more intrinsic. They may never be truly intrinsically motivated. They may never want to do it for – for the sake of doing it, but they can get to a point where they enjoy it, they're confident, they're successful, that self-efficacy, they have a group of supportive people, this is a process. So the AVE, they they fail, they're either told, uh, like what is the, if you succeed on your diet, it's because you had willpower. If you fail, this is a circular argument. Mm -hmm. To say that willpower is why you succeeded, but you succeeded because you had willpower, is that's not saying anything. And, and willpower we know is a biological construct, or we think it is, right? There's We, we have a, a certain amount, some people, ball master, fixed amount of willpower. We only have so many choices we can make in a day before we become exhausted. And there's even some people think that it's, ah, we break our, we break one, we've made one good choice and we give ourselves the freedom to make another bad choice. Ah, you know, I did my exercise program, I earned that food. Right. It's part of the reason simpler diets are often better than in the early stages, because every day we have to make 300 choices. It's exhausting. Yeah. I have to decide. Do I can I eat this? Should I eat this? Will I eat this? If the diet says you cannot eat this, that's a bright line boundary. You don't. That's a choice you don't have to make. Yeah. Now, that can backfire in the long run. Cravings, yada, yada, yada. But in the early stages, that may be the best way to approach it. That need again with the realization that this is just a practical. You're not a failure, anyway. You're not a failure because you didn't stick with it. But rather than beating yourself up over it, learn from it. What can we learn? That is the that is the way you approach the the absence violation effect positively. Okay, I made a mistake. I'm human. How do I avoid this mistake next time? so I can make an entirely new mistake, right? The alcoholic learns the hard way. Yeah, you know what? I got invited to the bar. I shouldn't, but you know, it's Bud's, it's his birthday. I want to be a friend. He wakes up three days later, <laughs> has lost a weekend, and goes, Huh, I knew someone who just started dieting a couple weeks in on my form. He's like, Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try going to the buffet. I said, Don't. You're not there yet. You may never be. Now, you might be a year, six months from now, 12 weeks from now. I can't say when. But now I can guarantee you that if you do it, it's going to backfire for a number of reasons, and you will fail, and you will hate yourself for it. So for right now, you know, you have to say no. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's somebody's birthday. Come up with an excuse. Tell them I'm sorry. And, and there's even a really interesting bit of psychology. There's a difference between saying I can't and I won't do something. Yeah. You read that? Because if you think about what the words mean, if you say I can't, well, that means you technically can. If you won't or if you don't, you don't. Mm -hmm. There is, I mean, I guess fine, you could go, well, I, I do. Well, no, you don't.
and I've known you've known people in unhealthy relationships. You know, I don't, I can't do this anymore. Sure, you can. You're doing it right now. The question is not whether you can or cannot. The question is whether you will or yeah. will not. It's very different ways of consent, but it, it does make a difference. So that that AVE is a place I think, and and for the average, even for the the general lean person, I've had I've had free meals go awry. For me, intermittent fasting can be effective. But as often as not, I will intermittent fast and wait and wait and go, yeah, I'm going to go to the dude of the buffet and I can do more damage than good. For a lot of people, intermittent fasting, when it works, it works great. Yeah. Don't people hear me, don't hear me saying it doesn't work. But when it fails, it fails hard because people start. It becomes this weird binge purge. People with previous eating disorders, I really think, shouldn't do it because yeah. even, my, even cyclical dieting very rapidly becomes a binge purge thing. Mm -hmm. That's a population that maybe a standard diet is better for them, but that you have to frequently learn the hard way. You know, I would there's things I would go, ah, you want IF? Have you ever been even possibly bulimic? Yeah, don't. I can tell you with some, you might be the exception, but that's all you will be if you happen to be better safe than sorry, mm -hmm. because this becomes a really bad cycle down the road. And you know, you look at physique competitors, like which I keep coming back to because there are often overt or subclinical eating disorders. It's always interesting. The people who are just like, ah, if it fits your macros and you gotta eat clean, well, they eat clean six days a week. And then they have their binge day. And they eat more junk food on a binge day than any if it fits your macros or, or a flexible yeah. diet or they, they, but it's fun, but it's become such a morality. When you're clean, you're clean, and when you're not, that's why I don't like cheat or binge days. Cheat makes it a negative. It should be seen as a, and people go out of their way to eat as much crap as possible. So, so that in that sense, especially for beginners, yeah, it, it is a learning process. Figuring, and when you make a mistake, accept it, move on, figure out how to not make that mistake. And, you know, I, I did a podcast a while back. And as much as I don't like to demonize foods, he was like, you know what, for me, French fries is just a weakness for him. And he goes, and if I think of that as a bad food, it becomes an I don't rather than I can't. Now, the extremists go, that's orthorexic. Yeah. No, orthorexia is not recognizing that you cannot personally eat a single food. Orthorexia is demonizing a food as immoral on health grounds. This has become a real misunderstanding. And I, for people that don't get that distinction, there's a difference in saying I don't drink. I don't drink. I have two drinks a year, if, if that. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I don't like being out of control. I don't judge drinkers. I have many friends that drink. I'm the ultimate designated driver. The I don't, I choose not to drink for my own personal reasons. I do not think that drinking, that alcohol is the devil's beverage yeah. or that you are morally weak, right? That's the difference. Yeah. Choosing not to eat something that for you is a diet breaker is not saying that it's an immoral. That's what orthorexia is. It becomes mm -hmm. a moral issue. But for him, that's what he learned over however many, because he probably went out and said, I'm just going to have a couple French fries. And suddenly he was face first in a yeah. plate. Learn from it. For him, that, you know, for me, I would love to be the guy that can have a bag of cookies in the house. Well, I'm not the guy that can have it because if I have a bag, a bag of cookies is a serving. If I'm going to go have a treat, if I'm going to go whatever it is, I have to get dressed, go to the grocery store. I buy exactly what I allow myself or intends to eat and no more. Now, frequently, the, the sheer effort of having to get dressed and go to the yeah. store, that's enough to go, you know what? 
I can't be bothered. I can't. I'll save it. I'll save it for another day. And But even if I do go, I will buy what I want to eat or what I'm allowing myself to eat. Again, that is what works for me mm-hmm. as a personal, you know. I tell people, don't go to a buffet for a free meal because it, you know, people abuse that yeah. so hard. And I would love to be the guy that can go to the buffet and eat. And I've done it every once in a while. I'll have my plate of lean meats and I'll have veggies and I'll have a handful of jelly beans and I'll leave. And most of the time I end up with four desserts and a piece of cake and three pieces of fudge. So that's just not an option for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Same reason I tell people to generally do a free meal if they're going to at a restaurant. You are unlikely to order three desserts at a restaurant because the waiter will look at you funny and it will it is socially unacceptable. At the buffet, you won't think. If you say get cake for the house, you're going to eat three. So that is a it's a it's a control thing. But again, that's you know, some people can do it. You learn that the hard way, and you go, you learn, you make a mistake. But that's that learning process. Now, this is another long the transit back to the diet break. For most people, like I said, losing weight is easy. Maintaining it is where we have failed in obesity treatment. We know this factually. Nobody, I've, I've had people argue with me, ah, nobody loses weight on a diet. Sure they do. Yeah. Everybody does. Look at the studies. Everybody loses some amount of weight with the odd, bizarre, metabolic, whatever. It's usually behavioral exception. They gain it back. And those are different statements. Saying they fail to lose and saying they lose and gain it back are not the same things to me. Everybody loses. We don't know how it's the second phase that, that there's a problem of. Dieting is also different than drug addiction in that sense. With drugs, the hardest part is usually at the beginning is the DTs and the withdrawal. And the longer you're away from it, I mean, yes, addicts will always fight the urges, but they find other, but usually addicts just find something else to be addicted to. Um, whatever it is, many become fitness addicts. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., that he's a lot of drug and alcohol problems. Now he is very much, he does martial arts, he's very fit. You just, but you find at least a healthier addiction. Not that addiction is good, but if that is part of your biology, you can't fix it. You got to work within it. For me, my own obsessional tendencies, and for those who don't know, you know, I'm diagnosed bipolar 2, which is bipolar light, right? My mania has taken me off the rails to do some really, really bad things. Or if I can channel that, I can write a book in a month. So it's a matter of I can't change that aspect of me. I can channel it into relatively healthier or less healthy outlets. So for but for in that maintenance is the hard part, those diet breaks between active dieting phases for the general over not only is it breaking into manageable blocks of dieting, right? To sell tell someone you gotta diet for a year, can't do it. To sell someone we're gonna die for eight to twelve weeks, and then you get to take a break. Much more reasonable mm-hmm. to tell someone every three or four weeks, I'm gonna give you a couple days to eat normally. Well, now you're only dieting for six weeks. Intermittent caloric restriction to go, you're gonna diet for four days, and then you get to eat normally. <laughs> Easy. You know, the, the the analogy is driving across country. Yeah. I've driven 36 hours to go. You gotta drive. Th- can't do it. Well, you can, anybody can drive a day, usually eight or 10 hours. Most of us, I do it, I divide it into gas and bathroom breaks. I can drive three hours. That's easy. Well, all 36 hours is, is 12 three-hour blocks. Now, you get to the other extreme. By the time you're going, ah, 36 one-hour blocks, that can be just as bad. 
or even more. Same thing with cardio. An hour of cardio is terrible. Mm-hmm. Break it into 10 minutes at one intensity and five minutes. Well, I'm only doing 10 minutes and then five minutes, and then you're just doing it. it it's a psychological. It's the same thing with dieting, but as much as anything, it gives the general overweight person a chance to practice maintenance and figure out by screwing it up the first couple times, which they will, mm-hmm. what is and is not going to be effective for them. It may be, you know, I've seen some of the people writing about intermittent caloric restriction and, and IFing, and even one researcher thinks that fasting is the ultimate diet. And he did a study, and people, there's an oddity that when you eat nothing, you're often less hungry than when you eat it all. For some people, dieting, when they eat, it makes them hungrier. Mm-hmm. It's a very odd response. I'm sure it's neurochemical. But he found that in a study, he gave people fasting and a, they realized that they could go hungry. And even the ICR works this way. Yeah. You realize now for it's weird. The hunger effect doesn't kick in for three or four days into a diet. It's like, there's a lag time that the yeah. brain has to realize that you're dieting. Say so it's part of it. It's the same lot reason that refeeds don't work unless they're a few days long. Yeah. One day doesn't, tell the brain that there's food available and i'm just i'm using very anthropomorphic terms this is all just shorthand for the hormonal stuff going on for even in women there's a weird there may be the longer woman's lost her menstrual cycle for even the longer it takes for her for it to come back on and there's some idea that it's almost like a metabolic memory the body's mm. like well it hasn't been food for eight months so a month this who knows? Like, I don't, we don't know how this works exactly, or if, even if it is the case, but there seems to be that going on. There's, there's this weird effect. So people realize when they fast or even ICR, which is 25% of maintenance, mm-hmm. you know what? I can be hungry for three days and I won't die. And then I get to eat normally. And what he found was that people that did the fasting diet had better long-term maintenance. And probably what was going on is every time they started to slip or started to gain a little bit of weight, having built that self-efficacy, having established that they could fast for a day and not only not die, but not blow up the next day with overeating, they just inserted a fasting day once a week. That has a lot of potential. The ICR stuff, whatever, it's teaching you that I can go hungry for a couple yeah. days. And as long as you're keeping track of where you are, go, you know what, up a couple pounds, whatever, I can I can put in the three days of hard dieting and and get right back to where I was. And I think those types of strategies and learning that again through trial and error and through experience is going to be part of long term you know on top of just having people not false expectations pathological dieting stupid there there's a thousand reasons why diets fail some of it yes but again people are just bad at behavior change to me that there's a common i don't know what it is there's a commonality there there's something going on but figure that out or just for right now, figure out the practical strategies to deal with it. And I'm not saying it'll give us 100% success rate. I'd be lying. I'd make a lot more money if I wrote that book, but I'm not saying I, it. For me, we we know that actually success rates for diets it's about 30%. This five to 10% number is complete is complete bollocks. And it's but even then, you know, one out of three is still not very good. Yeah. It's better than 10%. And even that, I think, part of the reason people fail. This message has gotten out there. Nobody succeeds at dieting. If you tell someone they're going to fail, A, why would they bother? But B, well, if I'm going to fail, well, you've just decided that you're going to. And and at the same time, don't go into it expecting that it's going to be a cakewalk. There, there's an oddity there. People remember the first parts of their diet where it was easy. It's called the false hope syndrome. And when they diet again, they're like, yep. 
it's going to be in all diets. They're super easy for the first three or four weeks. It's the other difference with drug addiction, like I was saying. Drug addiction starts hard and tends to get a little bit easier. Dieting starts easy and gets harder. Yeah, yeah. That's really crap. That's really, really a bad dynamic. And there's really not a lot of solution to that. Other than part of it being to realize that when you're at maintenance, you've got more flexibility. Mm -hmm. You can, if you want to have a higher calorie day, do it. People need to get out of this mindset that one day means anything. Yeah, your body weight will spike, you gain a little water. Deal. It doesn't mean anything. Until you're up five or six pounds, that's maybe real body weight, that's when it's time to clamp down. This idea that one day either direction really makes it really matters. People have to get past that, and they don't do it. So yeah, whatever you're dieting, you're well, you're in maintenance, and you're still kind of hungry, and it sucks. Well, give yourself a break. Take a day. Take two days. Take three days. Go enjoy yourself. Get some of that psychology bump left in whatever you want to do, knowing full well that, yeah, you can get right back on track because you've established, you know, that's what I find so strange about this. People miss, they miss a day of dieting or miss a day of training and they're like, I've thrown it all away. Why are you focusing on that day? You've proven for two months that you can do this mm -hmm. because you have done it. And yet this one day blows people out of the water for whether it's self-induced, I don't know what the word I'm even looking for. I hate to use like loathing or anger, but like whether it's just self-induced pressure or self-induced or just societal expect. And again, I think it's that left of, ah, if you overeat, you're, you're glutton, you're slothful, you're weak. You're, there's just that. And in the U S we're so puritanical. Ah, just work harder. Now, sometimes working, work smarter, yeah. that old phrase, but, but all these things, I think, Again, a long way of just saying that for the overweight individual, the diet break, and for them they can go longer, right? They're not, they may be on a self-imposed time frame, but maybe four weeks at maintenance, they got to learn how to do it. They got to realize that what they were doing during that, and that's a good time, right? We know that exercise in the overweight individual, they typically can't do enough for it to matter initially. However, right, we know we got to use more diet exercises here. Well, guess what? As they lose weight, frequently with people that are overweight, their activity goes up when they diet sometimes because it's easier to move around. Because when you, you know, if you, it's not quite the same, but if you're a lean, I killed me, 150 pound fitness trainer training a 300 pound person, yeah, we're going to do walking lunges and, oh, oh, just stop. Like, I, I just want to make them go put on a 300 pound fat suit and go, you tell me how active you. Just tell me. Maybe it would get, you know, and frequently I find that the, the trainers that are best with that population frequently were overweight themselves. They have a perspective that if you've been fit your whole life and relatively lean, you can maybe intellectually conceptualize it. You certainly can't empathize with it. Mm -hmm. You can't. Something, it's told a story. There's a bra company in the US and it's got a lot of male employees. And it had them for a couple of days wear a weight vest. Oh yeah, with weight. You're about this. Is I remember you saying on another podcast. Yeah, will it will it truly give a male, per, you know, the understanding yeah. of any? But no, but it will make them understand what's involved. Why the low back pain, the shoulder pain? It, it, you know, I, I genuinely believe if you could just artificially give men a menstrual cycle for a month or two, and 
give women testosterone because women who occasionally take anabolic steroids, their behavior sexually, really, they become relentless. <laughs> they become, it's constant and they're, they get pushy and they don't take note. And again, I don't want to touch that whole issue because it's too emotionally loaded. But it gives them, I'm like, here's what you got to realize. And I'm not defending it. I'm not defending any male that would ever do that. This is how men are all the time. Mm -hmm. It is a biologically, yes, we are smart. We can know better. We can teach ourselves. We can and we should. However, biologically, this is how men are driven. And by the same token, if you gave men a menstrual cycle for two months, we'd be a lot less judgmental during certain times yeah. of the month because we go, you know what? I get it now. I get, I get the mood changes. I get the physical changes. My point being, take a Fit Pro, give them a 200-pound weight vest, and go, fantastic. You do this for a week, and you tell me. So anyway, when they start to lose weight, the overweighted individual gets more active. When they move to that diet break, well, now they're eating more. Now's the time to push exercise. Push them a little bit harder. That's part of building self-efficacy. Go, look, you may be a eating a little bit more, but you can bump your activity. You can do this. You've done it gradually for six to eight weeks. I'm going to push a little bit harder because you've got the calories. They may see some nice recomposition. Well, what have they learned? You know what? I can actually eat like a human being and exercise. I won't regain all the weight and I don't have to starve and I don't have to be miserable. And this is part of that. It, it has to, again, as a trainer, that's part of where that's our job from an educational standpoint is to go, look, you don't have to be starving. Even, even moving from dieting to maintenance, you'll be less hungry because you're maybe eating 500 calories more. That's a lot of food when you think about it. And then you can bump activity higher. Well, guess what? You can create the deficit with activity while still eating like a human being. Teach them that, look, you can add, go have a meal with your family once a week or your kids. It's not a diet breaker. Adjust it if you need to the next day. And I don't mean over adjust it, right? Fantastic. You had a plate of French fries. Let's say it was 1,000 calories over maintenance. Let's be really exaggerated. It's a third of a pound. <laughs> Who cares? Mm -hmm. Just that for the next three days. Do a little bit of extra cardio. Take 300 calories out. Took you three days to offset that. It's nothing. It's nothing. On that note, just because I think I want to bring it up, there is a misconception about rigid and flexible dieting, about what the terms mean, and I blame myself. <laughs> I've decided I need, to, I need to start being more vocal about this. Mm -hmm. I can, you can pin this on my, my book. Rigid and flexible dieting in the literature, and this gets into these behaviors, one of the biggest predictors of dietary success is adopting more flexible dieting attitudes. Now, when I first read about this literature in 2004, right, I, I had these very structured, flexible diet. And, and actually, I went back and looked at it, and what I wrote isn't as bad as what I had remembered, is in the literature – there is no, you will never find a study on if it fits your macros. You will never find a study on free meals. You will find studies that kind of look at refeeds, but not in the context I presented them. Yeah. The full diet break is the only one that's ever been studied, and they were trying to break people's diets deliberately to see what would happen, and the study just failed, right? That's the only one that's really been clinically studied on any level. And... But I presented it in such a way that I think people equate flexible eating with these specific strategies. And that's really not what the literature 
rigid, rigid dieting attitudes have to be with this very black and white, good, bad, on the diet, off the diet. Some people even think that here are my diet foods and here are my normal foods. Yeah. That's a rest. If you think that you can or should only eat this when you're dieting and as soon as the diet's over, you've already failed, right? Thankfully, we are in a time now where diet foods, diet meals, pre-made diet foods aren't terrible. Trust me, 70s and 80s, that stuff was awful. Mm -hmm. Lean cuisine, all that stuff, food technology, you can now eat foods that taste just as good that have half the calories. We finally got there. If you remember the old power bars, even protein bars, they taste like candy. They used to taste like cardboard. <laughs> they taste like candy bars now. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. re re rely on those enormously, but for again, we, we forget as fit pros that the food prep we can do, our schedules that may allow us to do even four small whole food meals, people don't have that kind of time in yeah. their life. They have... 45 minutes, they have 30 minutes, they need a snack at 4 p.m. and it's great to go, yeah, just take your chicken and broccoli, please. If if it's a choice between a high protein, lower calorie protein bar and a Milky Way, get the protein bar. Yeah. Yeah. Use a meal replacement. Don't rely on them completely, but there's even research that one or two meal replacements a day, that shows better because it lets you maintain your diet in a very busy world. Yeah. There, you gotta get, but anyway, so rigid flexible dieting, People think of it as these strategies. Rigid, those are the rigid dieting attitudes that cause people to fail. Flexible dieting attitudes mean realizing that it's not this black and white thing, that foods are just that foods are just food. It's not a moral issue. They are not black and white, good or bad. They're clean or unclean. You know, there's a lot of diets, paleo, this is paleo, this is not paleo, this is allowed. Again, those can work in the sense that simple rules help people make choices that they don't have to really think about, but it can backfire too. It's a happy, it's a medium you have to find. Um, you know, those type it, it's, and, and research adopting flexible dieting attitudes and takes time is predictive of long-term success, but it is a matter. It is a, even if you overeat one day, flexible eating attitudes mean, well, I can adjust the next day again, a little bit. Mm -hmm. People overeat and go, Four hours of cardio. I gotta. I'm gonna yeah. fast yeah. all day. Like no, no, no. Now we're in just this crazy binge purge pattern that you go from one extreme, overcompensate, blow your diet, feel terrible, overeat for three days. Like no. If you had that one meal, that again doesn't really matter. Do a little bit of extra activity. Cut your calories, whatever, for two or three days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what flexible dieting attitudes are. So I'm at least, I think, partly responsible for some of that, that misunderstanding. Well, like I said, I went back in my book and I'm like, okay, I did actually point out what the research yeah. is yeah. talking about and what, because for, for some people, again, to go, ah, just have a more rigid attitude. It's not that simple. You can't just tell a person, don't think like that. You have to, they have to learn over time and experience. And that's what I do. That is where the, the structured strategies can and yes, they can backfire, but they also teach people, huh? Okay. I overate, I, I carved up for a day or I took a week off and hey, I didn't lose any ground. That, that was that original diet break study. They wanted to see what happened when people broke their diet and it failed because nobody broke their, well, they did, 
but nobody gained a bunch of weight. Everyone got right back on the diet bandwagon. The study failed completely to do what it wanted to do. But what it found, what's to me more, that's why that's what's triggered that book, was when people make it part of the plan, they see it differently. There's a difference between I am in control of my diet. I am choosing to do this versus I did it. It's that abstinence violation effect, kind of. If they go to a dinner party and they just blow it, blow their diet and pig out or whatever, that makes them feel like a failure. Mm -hmm. If they go, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a single piece of cake and enjoy myself with my family or my friends to celebrate, that is a choice that they are now in control of. And that is a huge aspect of reducing stress, all that lack of, you know, tie all this together all day, every day. But it's all going towards the same point of being in control. And that's where the full diet break, the research and people want to make researchers happy and people forget about this. And when the researcher said, we want you to break your diet, that was an instruction. It wasn't a, let's see what happens if you break your diet. It was a, we as the researchers, the men in white coats are telling you to do this as part of the study. And usually they don't tell them why because that, that screws up the blinding and stuff. So they just were like, well, cool, I'm doing this. This is part of my diet. And when you conceptualize it as being part of the diet, it is now you making the choice. Yeah. And that's, again, that's part of learning that with those flexible dieting strategies, if you use, or even the ICR, which is a very unstructured way of achieving the same result, the intermittent caloric restriction, what they find is that people diet hard for two or three days when they eat normally, it's maybe 5 or 10% over what they would have eaten. It's very interesting. And I think that's because, well, in as much as there's a biological delay in the hunger, it's they are, it's part of the diet. It's, this is now, this is, you are choosing, you are choosing to eat normally because that is how the diet is structured. You are not trying to eat at 25% maintenance and blowing it and feeling like a failure. And it is distinctly changing how people conceptualize. And that's that's hard to, mm-hmm. to get people to conceptualize how a diet, how they sh- how a diet should ideally look in terms of macros or structure. It's going against everything they've ever been told. It's going against everything they've ever done. And when they fight you want to, you just want to go, well, I got a question. How well did that work? Well, it didn't. Well, maybe we should try something else. Yeah. And it's amazing the resistance you'll get to that. But, you know, where they're not losing and you go, well, I'd like you to try this. Well, that won't work. What you're doing now isn't working. It, it can't not work. I mean, I guess it can not work and that you gain weight, but it, 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 you can't lose less than zero. You, you can't, I mean, it can't not work worse. Mm-hmm. And yet we'll just fight. You know, I, I saw that early in my career. I had clients who would come in, two hours of cardio today, start. And I, I knew that that wouldn't work. I didn't know why at that point because I didn't know. I thought I knew everything. And I, I, now I know everything. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, man, I didn't know anything. It's called yeah, it's called aging. And I told her for months, I need you to eat more and exercise less. Well, that'll never work. Well, what you're doing now? And then she yeah. went on a cruise three days. I've told this story endlessly. Ate over a didn't exercise. She came back five pounds. Now I know. I know now. It's just water retention. I I, I know now what was going on, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I said, "See, what did I tell you all along?" Well, yeah. She went straight back to starving and over exercising. It's it's so some people just even when they learn, they won't learn. And there's so much you can do. But even there, sometimes you just got to trick them. Just <laughs> make it 
it's just structure the diet that way. This is this is your diet, and I want you to do this. And even that, sometimes you got to trick them into doing. They really won't listen to a rational explanation. You just got to trick them into doing what you want them to do anyway, which sounds terrible, but it is what it is. So no, I think yeah. that I mean you touched on so many brilliant points there and. I think the obvious thing is how related the physiological is to the psychological and how they can't really be moved apart and they just overlap yes. so much. Um, so it's good that you're doing work in that area and have kind of fathomed that out. And I'm glad you kind of talked about the flexible dieting concept as well and how I think a lot of people do get that wrong, especially if they haven't yep. read, a lot of people have heard of it, they haven't read your book, which I think explains it incredibly well and gets the point across. Um, much more kind of the, the flexible approach was always about not being rigid basically it wasn't about oh if it fits your macros or this yes. or that it was like you can pick your weapon of choice but know that you sure. don't have to only stick to that um which i thought was really good yep yeah awesome. i know i i kind of i know i tend to jump around a lot but this is you know after damn near 30 years of doing this i started when i was about six i mean you know 20 years well, uh, yeah, 20 some odd years kind of professionally, you know, I, I, I've always, I try to be a generalist. I didn't, I never wanted to specialize, which is getting harder and harder with the 8,000 studies that come out every week. Um, but it just, a lot of it was experiential. A lot of it, you know, I actually learned more from, from when things didn't work. I, I actually find those to be far more illustrative because when something should work on paper and it doesn't, there's something you're, there's a part of the picture that's missing and I've just been sort of building this model. So I know I tend to jump around in a lot of different, but it, it's all tying together because yeah. there's so many commonalities between different fields. Like I said, the, the physiologists and the behaviorists just don't talk with one another. And I read these papers in one and I'm just like, the answer's over here. Yeah. Read this paper and I'm like, you know, they would do these papers. I remember early diet study, and they were like, they dieted women hard for four weeks, and then they decided to raise their calories over a week, and they kept losing weight. And they're like, oh, we don't. I'm just like, if you would read the leptin literature, if you would read this, but they are diet, you know, these are diet studies, or physicians are doing that stuff. And, and so I, I try to, you know, tie, tie it together in that sense because, you know, I, I'm as frustrated as anybody else. I, you know, mainly I, I make a billion, if I could figure out the solution to this, make a billion dollars um, because I, I had joked kind of to finish this up is, you know, my job as an author is to take what are fairly simple concepts, eat less, exercise, repeat forever, and make that into a 300-page book. And most diet books do that by spreading a lot of nonsense and then having a lot of food lists and yeah. a lot of recipes. That is, that is how you write a generic diet book. And they all work for a little while, and they all use the same approach. But to me, you know, clearly, eat, light, eat less and exercise doesn't say anything. Um, any more than eat more and exercise says anything about, uh, you know, the, the devil is in the details. Well, is there a relatively better or worse way to eat? Yes, we know you need, you know, sufficient protein, EFAs, vegetables, calorie deficit, everything else is negotiable and depends on context. Exercise, there are better and worse ways to exercise. Men tend to, men love the weight room and eating protein. Women love the treadmill and eating carbs. And frequently those are not, you know, the way people approach exercise, whether it's too much, too little, the wrong kind, whatever it is, the, the, the devil is in the details. The repeat forever bit 
is really where, to me, like we talked about, that's where we fail. What are we doing wrong? What are Not what are we doing wrong, what are people doing wrong in how they approach this entire process? That partly is physio, you know, practical in terms of their diet, in terms of their, but it, much of it is how they conceptualize their diet of what it should be, like we talked about, that it's this short-term thing where they eat these specific foods and then they're going to stop doing that. Well, what do you think is going to happen in their expectations, in, uh, like I said, there's, you can have too much expectation of failure, but you can also have false hope about it's like, you, and there, there's something we don't have time to get into about uh, if you've looked into mental contrasting and what are called implementation intentions or intention implementations. This is a behavioral thing. Mm -hmm. I've seen, I really haven't seen written about much, but is turning out to be super, super, super powerful in terms of goal setting and what mental contrasting is. Do you identify what you, what benefit you'll see? And even there, people have really screwy ideas about what losing weight or changing their body will, will do. Men think that having abs and gums will make women fall at their feet. Well, no, because you still have the personality of a sack of potatoes, right? I guarantee you that a guy who's not fit, who's funny and creative and productive and successful will get more women. Women, you know who cares about your abs? Your bros, yeah. your friends. Yeah. They don't. Women don't give a crap about what you bench. Fitness, women who are fit themselves frequently are more, you know, there's an age group, younger women. If you're the guy walking around with your shirt off, there's a certain population of women that will get. But guess what? And, and I've known women that are like, I don't want a guy who's, neurotic i'm neurotic enough about my food i don't want to guy i don't want to deal with that crap um women have reported people think that it will get them a better job women think that they'll get a boyfriend wow they they have these and then of course when that fails to they people seriously think their lives will change men think that getting abs and you do it you spend all this work and effort and nothing happens because you're still the same emotionally stunted immature child that you always were and again, I'm not saying I'm above that. Uh, trust me, I'm not. It just it, it it your personality hasn't changed, and expect so you do it. Your life doesn't change. Women don't fall at your feet, and you quit. Because why wouldn't you? So having reasonable expect, you know, having there's an oddity. Having dream goals, having big dream goals, doesn't seem to hurt progress, but you have to be realistic. Yeah. So yeah, shoot for the stars, but be realistic about what you might achieve may even be better than setting you know, too, too small of goals. Anyway, so mental contrasting. What do I hope to get out of this? What roadblock will I run into? You need to identify those. And the thing with mental contrasting is always start with a positive. Always, always, always. It's another aspect of dieting. What do we focus on? What we can't do. What we can't, what we can't eat. That's super negative. Focus on what you can do. Focus on what you can eat. Especially once you realize that flexible eating attitudes, guess what? Within limits, you can eat whatever you want. Yeah. Within limits, that's the key thing. So mental contrasting, you do this five or six times. What, what benefit am I going to get? Whether it's health, looking better, clothes fitting, whatever. Identify a roadblock. Benefit, roadblock, benefit, roadblock. This has been shown to energize people towards their goals. Now, most people have action intentions. I am going to. How many people, yeah, yeah, I really want to lose weight. Okay. What have you done? Nothing. I just want to, right? I want to get big. Okay. What are you doing? Well, I missed three of my work. Okay. Fantastic. Don't care. Heard it my entire life. Yeah. I want to, I'm going to, you know how many people have told me, yeah, I could write a book. Okay. What have you done? 
well, I could. Well, when you're done, let me see it. I, I hear it all the time. Trust me, once you start, you're going to wish you never did. Um, hear it all the time. But what, in, what, intent, what in, intention implementations are is once you've identified a roadblock, you, you, you program it into your subconscious, basically, and the implementation intention has the structure of if X, then Y, where X is the situation and Y is the positive action you will undertake. And this is really important. It's not if I go to the buffet, I will not eat something. That is focusing on a negative. People yeah. do this too much. It is if I get a food craving, I will go for a 10-minute walk because frequently cravings disappear in 10 minutes. Like I said, if I don't get to the store when I want cookies, I frequently, by the time I got my shoes on, I can't be bothered. But you're identifying, you could even make it something of, you know, if my weight goes up two pounds, I will remind myself that short-term fluctuations don't matter. Yeah. It can be any, it can address a lot of different issues. What's interesting about this is when you do this, a, they last about three weeks or possibly more from the time you put them in your head. But they seem to trigger without thinking about it. This is the key thing, right? I talked about how hard it is. Every day we have to make so many choices, right? This willpower thing. There's an interesting bit of trivia you may, people have probably seen. Successful people tend to wear the same clothes every day. Yeah. And here's why. It's one less choice they have to make. They have enough to do running their business, doing their job, whatever it is. If they have to sit there and go, huh, what tie, what shirt, what watch, it's exhausting. And, or they're just lazy. That's my case. Mm -hmm. I, wear, I, I have six gray and black shirts and one pair of jeans. And I just wear the same thing every day. But I'm just, I can't be bothered. And, and people, you, you see those people that are like, God, they have their whole life together. They make every right choice. But if you put them into a novel situation, yeah. they're just as bad. And it's because what they've done They've put all of these behaviors on these, these they don't have to think about yeah. and it frees up energy, but they can become just as completed making, but it allows them to have the energy to put into choices that do matter, right? A lot of athletes, I just eat the same thing. I eat the yeah. same breakfast every day. I eat mostly the same one. I have sort of a set of meals that I rotate through. Mm -hmm. It's just one less thing I have to think about. But a lot of behavior changes, putting certain things on automatic, so you don't have to worry about it anymore. But these implementation intentions do that for you because having put this in your brain already, if, if I am going to a dinner party, I will have a snack of lean protein and vegetables or I will not go, well, I won't, it's not I will not go hungry. Yeah. I will have snack so that I am, that's one, and it triggers without you having to think about it. So you don't, you're exhausted. You've had a hard work day. If you went without this in place, you're going to overeat. You've already exhausted your willpower. There's yeah. nothing you can do and you're going to, you're going to end up face down at the food table. You come up with, and then, but you can use this, you've identified the early roadblocks. If I am invited to a party, I will, or if I'm offered cake, I will politely say, I can't eat that, or I don't eat that, right? Whatever it is, you know, because that's, there's this weird social contract that you yeah. can't do. And whatever, I, I, yeah, I'm gluten intolerant, whatever. I, I used to get into fights with people. Why don't you drink? And I just make up some horrible reason. Like, aren't you glad you asked? Because it would get them to leave me alone. <laughs> so then you, you fix that problem. Well, now you make another mistake, abstinence violation. Learn from it. Identify it. Create a new implementation intention. 
this becomes this process of not only learning what situations, how to deal with certain situations. If I miss a day at the gym, I will remind myself of the six weeks I've been consistent and go back Friday. Right? People forget. They just like, oh, I've lost all my gains. No. There was even a weird little study you might have seen. They had one group train weekly consistently. They had one group take a week off every two weeks. And they made the same gains. Yeah. It was bizarre. And, and, you know, nobody's quite sure why. But regard, you know, I wouldn't recommend people automatically decide to do this. However... It is a way of just making yourself aware that, look, those couple of workouts don't – this is a long-term process. Yeah. A couple of days off your diet don't matter. A couple of days of missed workouts, come back, go a little bit easier. You're right back where you left off. You've lost nothing. Frequently, people come back stronger, yeah. especially if they, were doing too, you know, if they were doing too much. They yeah. were hard, training too hard. So th the, that's another thing. It's this all these behaviors that I think drawing from a lot of the, you know, the social psychology literature – is going to be something that hasn't, the books I've read on that haven't really been aimed at this, at, at the dieting population yeah. in any real major way. That's another book project I've got in, in place. You know, we've got priming. You show people a picture of someone of a fit, healthy situation before they go to a buffet, they will make healthier choices. Mm -hmm. You are subconsciously priming them to think about health. As much as we can argue about the whole weighing every day, which we know that people who are successful do track, they are yeah. consistent. Weighing every day is actually more likely to keep you on your because you notice when you're slipping. Yeah. Like, but it makes you psychotic. No, you just have to. You take a seven-day rolling average. Use happy scale. Whatever. Don't focus on individual days. It's noise. Focus on trends. Mm -hmm. And if I, you know, again, if I step on the scale and my weight is up, I will remind myself it's just water and or I need to poop or whatever it is. So they found that people are more likely to. Uh, adopt healthier behaviors if they weigh every day. And here's why. Every time, if you get up in the morning and you get on the scale, you have just reawakened or reprimed or what I forget the terminology they use. You've basically just reinitiated that your current goal right from the start. Yeah. And as you know, yes, it can backfire. And again, if you're one of those people that the scale makes you cycle, well, there's you've just learned that that's not a good choice for you. You shouldn't use it. That's an individual thing. And there are just all these things that I think we're going to be able to draw until we just figure out biologically what's caught, why this is so hard. And it may not be. It may not be an inherent biology. It may simply be that, I mean, there was that, there's the three weeks to dig new habit. It's nonsense. There's that famous study a few years ago. For some people, it was like over 300 days to, to create a new habit. Food, there's, unfortunately, there's some, some evidence that over the long term, there may be relatively permanent changes in brain chemistry in terms of the reward system. And, and I know Stephen Guinet has done, you know, yeah. he's very, he's very into the reward system. He's got a lot of good things to say. I think his approach of just don't eat tasty foods the rest of your life, while well intentioned, is completely unrealistic. Um, sorry about that. No worries. Um, I meant to turn that off. Um, but you know, the overweight may start with a slightly I hate to use the word defective, and I don't mean that in a negative. It's just a biologically it is dysfunctional. They may start more sensitive to tasty foods, yeah. and they eat more than as younger as children. This programs the brain in the long term. Over time, they end up causing that system to become less sensitive. It, it's very much a drug addiction model. Unfortunately, some of that may never change. Now, on the one hand, you could read that as, well, guess what? They're screwed. 
I mean, and, and, and I think we're going to get, there's going to be also more pharmaceutical. Once we get past this issue of obesity is just gloth and uh, sloth and gluttony and realize that for some people, it's going to be a long-term disease that needs to be treated with pharmaceuticals and just like any, and it's going to be three decades till we get there, but we, we will as we realize this, but you may have to recognize that, well, that's always going to be there. And there's two ways of looking at it. You can either realize that they're going to work these foods into their diet and do it in a controlled fashion, or they may be the person that can't do this yeah. because it is almost kicking the, you know, or at least not for a while, not, not for six to 12 weeks or longer down the road. Like it, it's, that's an individual thing. It can completely backfire. It can completely work beautifully. But if they find, you know, let's say try two or three times, try it under different situations. And if it doesn't work, it's not for you. Doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean you failed. The strategy failed you. Mm -hmm. And that's something else we've gotten. I think we're so absolutist looking for the perfect, the right, the correct diet. It's the one the person can stick to. Yeah. And that means figuring out individually what daily, weekly, monthly, annual strategies are going to be best. We know there's commonalities. Absolutely. There's much to be learned from the studies of the National Weight Control Registry and the people that are successful. But as much as anything, we see it in trainers all the time. Everybody gets the same workout. Why? What's well, what worked for them? And it might work. I've seen coaches do it. Every athlete gets the same training program. If you succeeded, it's because they were great coaches. Failed, it's because you didn't stick yeah. to it. It's, it's bull. It's crap. It's not, it, it's dishonest, mm -hmm. it's lazy. And so there, there's just all these things that, that I think have not traditionally, and it is, it's much more, it's much more labor intensive. I wish we could say, just do this. Yeah. But unfortunately, that's clearly not working. So finding better approaches. And, and I think that's where a lot of the evidence-based stuff, you know, too much of it comes out of, well, that's what worked for me. Yeah. And, and that's, and it may work for others. Even then, you know, one last comment, I'm going to wrap up, go to my orthopedist, my leg, is, you know, again, we hold up these physique competitors as being the most successful dieters, and they certainly are for certain behavioral and psychological and, and dietary reasons, but you know what we don't talk about? It's not only what happens to them afterwards, what about the failures? What about the 90%? What we see on stage are the people that succeeded by definition. Mm -hmm. Um, if your listeners are familiar, the Bulgarian Olympic lifters, they're held up as they were, they set medals. They set, they were champions. They did the most intense training. Well, only one out of 66 of their lifters survived. Most of them look at the right. Chinese. They will destroy 10,000 athletes to get one gold medalist. Well, what's more important, the winner or the 10,000 that got broken, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't work. If you go to the fitness, the ox, you know, any of these forums where there's people doing the physique dieting thing, most of them are cracking, most of them are breaking, most of them are failing to succeed or, you know, ending up, if they didn't start with an eating disorder, they got one at the end of it all. And they don't. So, you know, and, and fine for the elites, winning matters. But if the diet is working for 10% of people and failing for 90, I don't see that as working. Mm -hmm. If a less strict diet, if a more reasonable diet works for 80%, but they don't get to the same elite level, I still don't care for, for the general pop. Yeah. I, I don't, damn, I want to see the 80% do better and rather than 90% of them fail because it's not something they can survive. And even then we're seeing 
all the if it fits your macros as much as no flexible dieters have made it to stage bull mm -hmm. and every day there's more of them yeah and not only are they coming in as good of shape they're coming in better yeah. shape with less stress with less muscle loss helms who's using refeeds and diet breaks his women are not losing their menstrual cycle till a month before their show mm -hmm. and they're getting it right back rather than losing it five months out and taking five months to get it. This does permanent damage to women. Yeah. Like it's working as, and yes, there will always be resistance, but factually, I mean, it was easy to just me. Uh, Lyle's not a bodybuilder. He's never, fine, fantastic. Guess what? We have bodybuilders that are making contests with ripped glutes, with less stress, with less health problems. You can fight it all you want but that's just you defending your, your cognitive bias. So, and that's 100%. a good place. No, yeah, definitely. And I, I know you need to uh, rush off, but I just want to say thank you so much for taking yeah, the time. And it was oh, brilliant just to hear you. I mean, you can talk and <laughs> talk about these things forever and it, uh, all the listeners yeah. will agree. We want to hear it and it's fantastic. So I really appreciate you coming on and spending the time. Yeah, and I think it was just so clear for me there how, and everyone knows this you have to start with those principles and then apply it to the individual and really be yes. open and honest about yourself and your situation so um yeah just want to say absolutely thank you lyle um brilliant discussion Perhaps. and if people were to try and kind of find your stuff body recomposition the best place and i know you have uh, a quite active like facebook website, group. You know, that's the website is where my articles are and there's you know tremendous tons of stuff there i even tell people repeatedly like start there before you worry about my books if you want to buy a book great um i've got a very active facebook forum uh facebook group called body recomposition which i'm there daily uh it, it's nice something about just the people i tend to attract people that are very much experts in their field and excuse me, uh, while I tend to be very much a generalist, if there are detailed questions, there's always, you know, I've got a guy, he's doing low-carb cancer research. We've got physicians, I've got physiotherapists, uh, we've got some neurologists, like people, I've been very lucky to attract those kinds of people because when I'm either talking out of my own, my own rear end or don't, you know, we've got some eating disorder treatment specialists. Yeah. Lately, there's been a big influx of women because of, of my focus on menstrual cycle disorders and female dieting. That if I can't answer it, I guarantee you we got somebody that can, right? I don't really do pathophysiology. We had a question yesterday about, you know, someone who's got, how do they diet and train with kidney failure? Like, that's outside of my wheelhouse. I won't even touch it. But we've got someone who gave an extremely detailed answer. So my Facebook group, I've got a forum. I think forums are dead in the era of, face, mm -hmm. of Facebook. So I think my Facebook group is where you'll find me to be the most active. And then the, and my, my webpage is where my articles are and also my books. So Brilliant. Well, I'll put those all in the description box below so everyone can get those. And yeah, just another thank you. And thank you to everyone who tuned in and listened. Yes, thank you very much.